Amen. All right. Let's stand together, church. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to all hail the power of Jesus' name. name let angels prostrate fall bring forth a royal diadem and crown him lord of all bring forth a royal diadem and crown him lord of chosen seed of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall we'll join the everlasting song and crown him lord of all we'll join the everlasting song and crown him lord of all We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Let's bless it. Guitar was off. Let's sing Blessed Be Your Name together. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. 
every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, out turn back to praise when the darkness closes in lord still i will say blessed be the name of the lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the lord blessed be your glorious name take away my heart will choose to say Lord blessed be your name you give and take away you give and take away my heart will choose to say Lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your glorious name amen church you can be seated awesome thank you guys sounded great well good morning how is everybody this morning? It's good to see you all today. Uh, let me do the standard word of welcome and, and greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're excited that we have the chance to gather together in a spirit of worship and praise and adoration. And so that's what we seek to do here uh, when we gather together on a Sunday morning. If you're new and you're a guest and this is your first time to be with us today, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We, we love to have guests and visitors. And more importantly, we love to meet you. And so I would encourage you at the end of the service today, if you have a chance, come to the front and, and shake my hand. I'd love to get to know you face to face. Uh, I know we have college students that are back on campus now, and so hopefully we've got some college students with us today, and I'd love to meet you as well. But if you don't have time to come forward at the end of the service, then you can take your worship guide, and on the inside portion of it, on the right-hand side, we'd love for you to fill that out and leave us some basic information and some details so that we can follow up with you and continue to make sure that we're the church that you need during this season of your life. But we're glad you're here. 
And, and so we're going to continue this journey this morning. Uh, we started the new year with this emphasis on these core convictions that, that the immediate charge that we found in the psalm was to sing to the Lord a new song, that we have this hope in the one who makes all things new. And so we've been walking through these core convictions for our church as we enter into this new season of life together. Last two weeks, we've talked about this church needing to be centered on the gospel, that everything we do will be gospel-centered as we move forward to seek to glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that last week, we talked about being biblically guided, that we will submit to the teachings of the scriptures and all things. And today, we continue that discussion and we focus on prayer, that we're going to be a church that's driven by the importance of prayer. And so I want us to be mindful of that today. I want us to be awakened to the, the significance and the power of prayer, that the scriptures tell us that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And so as we worship together today, let's pray in that spirit, in that expectation, that God will once again be powerful and effective in our lives. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are grateful that we have a chance to come and be in your midst, to be in your presence, and to worship you today. I pray that these songs that we sing would be more than words that we just offer with our lips, that they would be the prayers of our heart. As we sit and we listen to the proclamation of your word, Father, that that would be more than just notes that we might take and thoughts we might have, but that they would result in prayers of our heart. Because we know that it is in those moments that we meet you, that we encounter you, and we get to see you for who you are. Be in our midst today, Father. Send your spirit in its fullness. Let us be awakened to the goodness of who you are. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me invite the children forward as we spend some time with Miss Caroline. The rest of you, why don't you stand up and greet each other today and offer a word of welcome. Sawyer, what's going on, girl? Good morning. Good morning. What's up, Aiden? How you doing, buddy? You guys doing good? It's good to see y'all. As morning dawns, as morning dawns and evening brings, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and Tower, your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder, because nothing has the power to save but your name. 
Jesus, in your name we pray. Come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give us strength to live for you and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your sing it louder nothing has the power to save but your name Amen. You can be seated, church. You know, back in the day when I used to watch TV, when I was around y'all's age, there's this really cool show that I like to watch, and it was called Get Smart. And this guy would have a shoe, and he would dial somebody on the shoe, and then he would lift it up, and he'd say, hello? Do we do that? No, if we want to talk to somebody and they're not around us, what do we do? What do we use? A phone, right? Just like this one I borrowed from Mr. Steve. So if I wanted to use this phone to talk to Mr. Steve, what would I do? I would press his name, right? And then up it would come. You know what? Scripture tells us that anytime we want to talk to God, that it's even better than using a phone because it doesn't matter where we are, what we have with us. It doesn't matter if we have a phone or a shoe or none of those things, that every time we cry out to him, a shoe. <laughs> shoe, isn't that funny? That every time we cry out to him, that he always listens, that he always hears our voice, and that he always answers us. And the best thing about God is his answers are always the ones that are best for us. We may not always understand them, but yet Scripture tells us that they're always the best one. In Psalms, when I read Psalm 17, it says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonders of your great love. You who have saved by your right hand those who take refuge in you. So I want to encourage you that on behalf of you and on behalf of your family, but especially on behalf of our whole church body. I need, and this whole congregation needs you, to be prayer warriors, to pray for our church. God listens to your prayers. When you call out to him, he hears what you have to say. And when you ask him, he will always answer. If you ever think that it's big people or old people that God needs... He does, but you know what? He needs you. He needs the prayers of three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five and 10 and 20 and 50 and 75-year-olds and seven-year-olds. He needs each one of your prayers and your prayers too. He needs your prayers too, Hudson. So you know what? I want to encourage you to call on God and to know that he will, and know that he will listen to you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word reminds us to call on you. Thank you, Father, that your word tells us that you always answer, that you always hear our prayers, and that you love us. Thank you, Father, that you have called out this church. Father, that you have called us to be transformers in this world, in this area. 
Father, help us to live in your power and your strength. And Father, may at every point we be humble, knowing that you are the mighty one. You are the king that we serve, and you are the king that we praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together and sing Sweet Hour of Prayer.
So teach my song to rise to you. When temptations come my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. My one defense, my righteousness oh god how i need you amen you may be seated thank you guys sounded great mm -mm. love it so if, if you haven't figured it out by now i think most of you have um i'm a little bit of a sports fan okay and a lot of that has to do with just the, the environment I grew up in. Uh, it was, sports were big in my family, whether we were playing sports or watching sports. It's just what we did. And, and so as I think back on my childhood and, and think to maybe my first love with sports, you know, that, that first team that kind of brings you in and really begins to show you the power of fandom, I'd probably say that my first love is the Dallas Cowboys, okay? And so as you might anticipate, it's been a hard week for me. Okay, uh, I've been in a state of mourning and grief after that game last week, and so I, I just need some therapy this morning, okay? I just need to talk through some of my emotions and try to forget that third and 20 conversion there at the end of the game. So I, I want to relive some of the glory days for the Cowboys, back in the day where they didn't just hope to make the playoffs and win one playoff game when they were actually really, really good. And, and I really loved that stretch for the Cowboys because I remember being young, that when they got great in the early 90s, I got to see that transformation. Like, I remember cheering for Herschel Walker, and they were kind of relevant, you know, but never really dominant. And then all of a sudden, they put the pieces in place. You get Troy, you get Emmett, you get Irvin. And next thing you know, in these early 90s, they become a dynasty. And they're winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And that takes place right in the midst of the sweet spot of my childhood. And I get to watch it all take place. And it was more than just watching it on TV. Uh, my dad and I, we, we love going to football games, and I don't know how many he's taken me to over the years, but we had this uncanny string of luck. I mean, literally, we, we go to these games, and probably 98% of the time, the, the team wins. And so I've called Jerry many times. I'm like, Jerry, if you would just get us a suite in the stadium, we'd be winning Super Bowls every year. But he's not returning my phone calls at this point. But, but we would see them win, and so it just really brought me into the fandom. And, and so by the time we get to that first breakthrough season where they win the Super Bowl in 92, 
Uh, we knew that it was going to really come down between the Cowboys and the 49ers. Th those were the two teams in the NFC that you had to anticipate would represent in the Super Bowl. And so sure enough, the Cowboys play the 49ers in San Francisco. It's going to be a hard-fought game. Uh, but, but sure enough, they go out there and they just dominate. And they win the game, and they're they now on the precipice of this, this new streak of Super Bowls. And you, and you watch that game, and there were a lot of great plays, a lot of notable moments. But what was interesting was who was really the star of that game against the 49ers. It, it wasn't really your traditional stars. It wasn't so much Troy and Emmett and Irvin, or my favorite player, Jay Novacek. I love Jay Novacek. Uh, it was Alvin Harper. And, and Alvin Harper made some great plays that day. He was the number two wide receiver. And, and one of the plays I actually have a picture of today, one of his notable plays in that game was this 36-yard pass that Troy threw to him early in the game, and he makes this incredible catch over, I think it's Eric Davis there, where he leaps up and he just pulls the ball from the defender. I mean, it was just an awesome play, one of many that he made that day. So they win the game, and the next day, this picture kind of becomes an image, right? It's, it's this focal point of the Cowboys' success. And I remember seeing this picture on like the front page of the sports page and the newspaper and these headlines of like, how about them Cowboys and Cowboys are Super Bowl bound. And I can't remember if we had it made or if we bought it, but, but we got, I got a shirt that had that picture on it. And it was like the newspaper headline because at that point, I mean, I was getting all the cowboy paraphernalia that I could put my hands on. And so I had a shirt with this picture of Alvin Harper. Well, to make the experience that much more magical, um, my dad, one of his best friends, uh, lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and worked for one of the radio stations here and actually had access or got tickets to the Super Bowl and invited us. And so I actually got to go to the Super Bowl as a 10-year-old kid to watch his team play in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, my mind was blown. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so we go out to Pasadena, and in the first few days that we're there was so much fun because we would go to the hotel where the Cowboys were staying, and I got totally engrossed with the idea of getting autographs. Like, I just was obsessed with it. And what was interesting about it was you'd go to the hotel, and most of the Cowboys were up on the second floor, you know, you'd be standing in the lobby, and, and that's where they had their team meetings and most of their, their gatherings, and clearly you couldn't get up there, right? I mean, they had security guards at the elevators and the, and the stairwells. You, you couldn't get up there. The only way you'd get lucky is if they walked through the lobby. And so I was constantly looking at every entrance and exit and stairwell. I mean, I was like my head on the swivel. I was like the autograph ninja. You know, I was just going to pounce on them as soon as I saw them. I was asking everybody for an autograph. And, and so I was constantly looking for it. And so one day, we're over there, and I've got my Novacek jersey on because I never took it off. Uh, but underneath it was the shirt that I had of that picture with Alvin Harper. And, and so I'm walking through the lobby, and I'm looking around, seeing if I see anybody. And sure enough, up on the second floor, I see Alvin Harper. Well, I'm, I'm 10, but I'm smart enough to know I can't just yell out, Alvin, what's up? You know? And so I'm trying to get his attention. And I'm kind of like following him, see if he can look down. And, and I remember I'm wearing the shirt. And so I pulled the jersey up far enough to where you can see the picture of Alvin making that catch. And I'm like, you know, trying to get his attention. Sure enough, I catch his eye. And he looks down, he kind of smiles. He looks over the railing and he says, hey man, you want me to sign that? Well, like, that was impossible for a 10-year-old kid to process the fact that he was talking to me in that moment. So, I, I mean, no, Alvin, I just wanted you to see what I was wearing today, you know? Uh, yes, you know, and I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, all right, well, meet me at the elevator. And so I like start running over to the elevator. Nobody knows what's going on. And so I stand there. Security guards won't let me on at this point, obviously. The elevator doors open and he's standing off in the corner because he doesn't really want a lot of people to see it. And he tells the security guards, yeah, let him on. I'm going to sign his shirt. 
And so at this point, like I've burned the Novacek jersey and I'm walking into the elevator. I'm like, you're my number one, man. I've always loved you, you know, and, and I've got the shirt on and, and we get there. Well, as soon as I get on the elevator, people start to see what's going on and they start to rush over to the elevator to see if they can get an autograph. And so now the security guards are trying to hold them back and, and, and distracts Alvin Harper. And so it's taking him a while to sign the shirt and the door starts to close. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen? And I hear Alvin Harper say, it's cool, man. You can just ride up with me. Now, at that point, like I have like an out-of-body experience at that moment, and it's like I realize my life is about to just have this amazing course. He's going to take me upstairs, and he's going to introduce me to Jimmy and Troy and Emmett. We're going to fall in love. They're going to invite me to the locker room on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to watch it from the sidelines, be an honorary cowboy. My life is set at that moment, so I'm so pumped. And right as I'm thinking about all those things, the door slowly begins to close and the security guard just puts his hand in there and crushes all my dreams. And so I start kicking his hand. I didn't really kick his hand, but, but you know, he, he opens the door back up. Alvin composes himself and he signs my shirt. So I stop, step off the elevator and I'm just euphoric. You know, I'm on cloud nine. I can't believe it happened. I run, I go find my dad. I tell him all about it. I mean, it was just such an impressionable experience. And then of course they go on and win the Super Bowl. So yeah, I'm a fan, maybe a fanatic, but yeah, I love it. They were my first love. And now one of the reasons that story was so impressionable on me is because that's not how autographs typically happen, in case you were un unaware of that. Normally, you see a player walking through the lobby and you kind of run alongside them and try to put something in their face and maybe they sign it and hand it back to you or maybe they're standing in a designated area and there's a crowd of people all holding stuff and they just kind of sign stuff casually and then they move on. So what was so remarkable about that was that he actually saw me, right? And he said, oh, no, I'll do this just for you. It was a unique experience where I had this one-on-one -on -one access with, with Alvin Harper. Well, that to me is a story and an image that just keeps reminding me of the essence and the power of prayer. And we, we've talked over the last few weeks about this gospel message and what we see through the gospel and, and how God reveals himself through the scriptures. And today we talk about prayer and for me, the way that all these things intersect, what we see in this gospel, what we see in his scriptures and what we have in prayer is this moment where we realize that we go through this life and we walk around wondering if God is there, right? We look to the heavens wondering if we're going to catch a glimpse of God. And all of a sudden we, we see him, we get a sense that he's there. But what's so remarkable is it's not so much that we see him, but he sees us. And there's nothing we can do to get to him. There's no way that we can get up there. The only way that we get access to him is if he comes down to meet us. So he leaves the thrones of heaven and he takes on flesh and reveals himself in the person of Jesus. And Jesus invites us in. He says, come and follow me. And he signs his name on our hearts. What an amazing reality that we get to behold. Prayer is the moment where these words become more than just words on a page that moment where we get this amazing access to an almighty living God. It's so critical, so important. Something that we can't just casually uh, consider here and there. Prayer is not something we just do every once in a while. It is the essence of who we are as Christians. I love this quote from Oswald Chambers where he says, prayer is not meant to fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Today, my hope is that we can look into this subject and see just how great and important it really is. Let's start in that posture. Would you bow your heads? Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, come. Show us your power. Show us your strength.
Let us experience this amazing opportunity to be in your midst. Let's cherish it. Steward it well. Change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's have a conversation on this topic of prayer by turning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is a phenomenal book. It's one of my favorites. We've talked a little bit about it before, so I'm, I'm not going to go into too many details in terms of the, the context and the history of it. But I do want to talk to you about what, what Paul is transitioning to in, in chapter 6. He, he's gone through his, uh, his treatise, his theology of the church and what it means and the significance of it how we are to live our lives and conduct ourselves in all these manners. And then in chapter 6, right around verse 10, he gives us his final charge. He, he transitions by saying, finally, there's my last word for you. And, and he introduces a pretty important concept and tone. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to be strong in his mighty power. I want you to stand firm that you can resist the devil in his schemes. Put on the armor of God. And he gives us this important description of the context that, that is so important for us to understand in the context of prayer. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers, world of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Stand firm. An important concept for us to realize that to follow Jesus is going to require a certain strength, a certain endurance, that we're going to have to resist something. What we see is that our struggles, the challenges that we face in this world, are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities of darkness. And what we need to see is that when we go through this life, we don't walk around in this earth on neutral territory. War. There's a battle being played all around us. That the, the forces of darkness do not want to release their control on our hearts, our souls, our minds. They want to seek, to kill, and destroy. We are in a battle. And a lot of times we'll go through life and we'll <clears throat> experience these challenges, we'll experience these forces, and the mistake we make is that we assign the issues to people, individuals. They're the cause. That's who we need to speak out against. Organizations, institutions, nations. And we miss the main point, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the forces of darkness. But we are in the midst of this battle, and, and Paul is trying to say, you're going to have to stand firm to experience it. He says, you're going to have to put on the armor of God. And he walks us through what that looks like. He talks about the importance of truth. Right, to have righteousness, to have the gospel of the shoes of ready of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We must dress ourselves in this armor if we're ever going to resist these forces of darkness. He gives us the essential weapon. He tells us how it is that we are to fight back. Picks it up in chapter 6, verses 18. It says, pray. Pray in the spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is our weapon. This is the posture of the redeemed. We don't wage war against flesh and blood. No, what we do is, is we pray. I love this quote that I have here from J. Sidlow Baxter. He says, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, 
despise our persons. They are helpless against our prayers. This is essential to the Christian life. So what is prayer? The simple definition is it's to ask, to beseech, to petition something. But when we look at it from a more complete biblical point of view, we, we see so much more imagery, so much more uh, definition to what this practice really entails. So you go through the pages of the Old Testament and you see it complemented with words like extol and exalt and magnify and sing and make music and meditate. You get to the New Testament and you see the practice of prayer actually lived out right before our eyes in the person of Jesus. How many times do we see him retreat to a moment of prayer? He gives thanks before a meal. He, he prays before these miracles. He has parables that teach us the importance of prayer and how we should pray, the posture we have. Even a special moment where he looks at his disciples and says, let me tell you how to pray. When you pray, you need to understand that you do not serve some distant deity. The Father in heaven is sacred. His name is holy. It is hallowed. Pray. Ask for his kingdom to come. Ask for his will to be done here in your life, in this world, just as it is in heaven. Understand the way that he provides for you, the way that he cares for you, the mercy that he extends to you, that forgiveness that you have. Therefore, extend it to others and ask him to protect you. Ask him to not lead you into temptation, but to deliver you from evil. This is how you pray. And so it's no wonder that as the church is, is born, that it becomes a hallmark of her identity. Right? That in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the church devotes herself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and breaking of bread, and to prayer. It is essential. It is who we are. It's the essence of what we should do. So here, here's how I would define it. I've been reading up on it a lot lately, and obviously there are a lot of eloquent quotes uh, people that have greater intellect than I that can be much more profound in their definition. Here, here's my simple takeaway of prayer. The, the way I think of it, prayer is the gateway to the heart. It, it, it gives us this profound access to God. And yet when we get that access, there's this miraculous two-way correspondence that takes place. That it's the spirit of the individual that is brought to the heart of God. At the same time, it's the Spirit of God that is taken to the heart of the individual. Prayer is the gateway to the heart, his to ours and ours to his. I love uh, John Bunyan who says, uh, prayer is more important to have a heart without words than words without a heart. This is what prayer looks like. It is the posture of the Christian. Paul begins to explain it. And he, he gives a very comprehensive explanation of how it begins to manifest itself in our lives. He says, pray on all occasions with all kinds of requests, uh, for, for all purposes, for, for always keep on praying, right? For all the Lord's people, he has this totality of nature when he speaks of it, and he's emphasizing the importance and the discipline of prayer. So let me briefly walk through some of those. When he says pray on all occasions, this is one of Paul's favorite instructions. It's this idea of praying without ceasing, that we don't stop. It's this call that no matter what we face, no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, we should always pray. I think it's Spurgeon that says, prayer can never be an excess. We never pray too much. So when we consider that challenge to pray on all occasions, to pray without ceasing, I think where we probably need to work, or where I've felt like I've needed to work throughout my life, is that on one hand, sometimes we reduce our prayer life to just a simple routine. And so we, we pray at a certain time. And, and honestly, it's just not enough. Maybe we pray before meals, 
before bed, a few minutes here and there, and that, that's the essence of our prayer life. There's no real relationship in that. If I were to talk to you about my marriage, and I would explain to you the relationship that I have with my wife, and I said, yeah, we, we probably talk to each other about three to five minutes every day. And I could sit in any venue, and I could tell you everything you need to know about her. Tell you facts about her. I could tell you where she grew up. I could tell you some of her favorite uh, interests. I could tell you things that she said. I could tell you all that you need to know about her. But that doesn't mean I've got a strong relationship with her. At some point, I have to actually spend a high frequency of time with her. And when I do, the conversations can't be um, superficial. The, the, other time, the other mistake that I think we sometimes make is we become too casual in our prayers and we forget that it's an actual discipline. And so we, we offer some pleasantries here and there. Maybe we listen to some music and we, we consider that praying. And, and that's good stuff. I'm not diminishing that. But at some point, if, if I, again, in my marriage, just happen to talk about surface level stuff and casual conversation, it's not going to be enough. At some point, I have to sit down with her, look her in the eye, and have our hearts connect. So what we need when we embrace this praying on all occasions is to embrace the fact that it means probably praying more frequently than what we're used to and with greater depth than maybe what we're used to. Now, he builds on this challenge and says it's not just all occasions, but it's all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, I love this one. And in one sense, we could consider prayer categorically, right? That there are some times where we pray prayers of confession, right? We have prayers of thanksgiving, intercession. There are all these different categories. And clearly, I think that is attributable or applicable here. But, but to me, what this part speaks to me is that the power of prayer is that we get the chance to be honest before God. You know, one of the things I love about the psalmist is the range of emotions, the honesty that he brings before the Father, that in one breath he can say, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the next he can say, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? It's the honesty, it's the transparency. We don't have to say specific prayers. We don't have to have our life put together. God can handle anything that we carry before him. All kinds of prayers and requests, that tells me whatever's on your heart, he can handle. It makes no sense to try to hide it. So if you're angry with God, you're, you're furious, you're frustrated, you have that animosity and that resentment, well, guess what? You can make that a prayer. You handle it. You, you have doubt, you have skepticism, you're confused, that can be a prayer. All kinds of prayers and requests can come before his throne. And we realize that in addition to this, Paul is saying we must be alert. Always keep on praying. That, that second participle there is really translated as persistence or perseverance. Always keep on doing it. Don't, don't quit. Don't stop. Be persistent in these prayers. Being alert means be awake. This is not something we do just to quiet our souls and to drift off to sleep. And what I see from this charge is that prayer is to be so much more than just reactionary. We don't just wait to hear the bad news to fill up our prayer request. Prayer is to be proactive. It's to be vigilant, to awake, we're to be mindful, we're to be persistent in our prayers that we bring before the Lord. And when we pray, we don't just pray for ourselves, we don't just pray for our own issues, we pray for all the Lord's people. Prayer is both private and personal, but it's also corporate. What, what a beautiful picture that if we're really going to share in each other's burdens, if we're really going to stand arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder, we do so in a spirit of prayer. Love that. So I'll look at these four descriptions, and here's my main takeaway. Prayer is the heartbeat of the Christian life, and it, it's going to take work. It, it actually requires some 
effort from us and some energy from us and some seriousness to it. It is the essence of who we are. It is the greater work. So the question then that I have for all of us this morning gets in the way. What, what keeps us from engaging it with the level of intensity and intentionality that we should? I was reading this article recently uh, that was titled, Does God Get Our Leftovers? That was an interesting title, so I clicked on it and started reading it, and it was, sure enough, related to prayer. It was a blog that was written by this lady by the name of Bonnie McKernan, and it was just kind of a, a contributing blog to Desiring God Ministries, and it was really a testimony. It was her testimony on, or her journey of understanding the, the seriousness of prayer, and at some point in that article, she begins to ask herself that question, what, what are my excuses? It gets in my way. I loved what she had to say. She says, these were the things that contribute to her not engaging prayer as she should. My busy life, my easily distracted mind, my loud children, my personality. I'm better at communicating through writing rather than verbally. The list goes on. It's not my gift, I say. Some people are just gifted prayer warriors. Well, I really love reading and studying God's word. So God must have just wired us to serve different purposes. And that's okay, right? No. A thousand times no. I thought like that for a long time and believing that lie was a tragedy. It's ignoring one of the greatest gifts ever given to us. Prayer is the recognition of and participation with God in our life. Our deficiencies in prayer cannot simply be compensated by increased Bible reading, ministry, community, or listening to sermons. Nothing can take the unique place of prayer in the Christian life. I don't know what, what your list might look like. I know what mine is. We need to identify what are these roadblocks that prevent us from engaging into this important practice. She continues in the article and quotes Spurgeon, and I loved this quote. <clears throat> it says, there is a vulgar notion that prayer is a very easy thing, a kind of common business that may be done anyhow without care or effort. We should plow carefully and pray carefully. The the work, the more attention it deserves. To be anxious in the shop and thoughtless in the closet is a little less than blasphemy, for it is an insinuation that anything will do for God but the world must have our best. And that, that hit me, right? That, that when I looked at my life and when I consider what is often a struggle, what it seems to be that we can fall, the trap, fall into a trap of is that we'll give our effort and our energy to everything else. So we'll spend all this time and this energy with our families, with, with our careers, with ministry, with friendships, relationships, good things, and that gets all of our attention and our energy. And what we're really saying is that at the end of the day, then whatever we have left, well, that's what we'll, we'll take to prayer. Virgin, I think, hits it. Ultimately, what we're kind of insinuating is that the world gets our best, God gets whatever is left over. We've got to switch that. We've got to flip that on its head. We've got to see it as the greater work. What we have to see is that no matter where we are spiritually today, no matter what you face, no matter what struggle that you're encountering, the first step is always prayer. Always. So it doesn't matter what vision we create as a church. It doesn't matter what plan I come to you with. It doesn't matter what ministries we try to launch, what dreams and expectations. They rise and fall on the faithfulness of our prayers. That's where it begins. So what are we going to do about it? Let me tell you what I'm hoping to do, a way that I hope to, to have our church embrace this more intentionally couple of things we're going to try to do, both personally as well as corporately. Let me start with the personal challenge first. So today when you leave this church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk down that long hallway that takes you to the north parking lot. And, and you're going to see this long bulletin board. And on that bulletin board, we have these different colored pages that are all numbered, 1 to 31. 
and they're to represent a day of the month. What we're asking everybody to do is pick one day, one day out of the month that you would set aside and dedicate to an increased intentionality of prayer. And we're not saying just pray one day a month, keep praying as you pray, but at least on that day, get up a notch. In greater intensity, greater purpose, greater intentionality. Uh, we're we're going to really talk about prayer and fasting, but don't let fasting scare you at this point. We're talking about that next week, and don't worry, I'm going to give you some flexibility. But the point is, is that we, we want to see this as the greater work. So at least one day, we're going to set that aside. And the hope is that in that process, we, we have this solidarity that we can foster as a church. Now, the journey is still going to be private. It's going to be personal. We're not going to convene the prayer police and show up at your door on your day and be like, did you pray today? How long did you pray? What did you pray for? Not good enough. Keep going. You know, I mean, we're not, we're not going to do that. It, it's going to be up to you. But we, we're having everybody sign up as this gesture of solidarity and accountability, right? We can see we're doing this together, that we're all trying to challenge ourselves to grow in this effort. So here's what I want. Everybody in this room, sign up today. Hey, walk over there and pick a day. Care if you've been a member here for 40, 50 years and you're the greatest prayer, prayer warrior on the planet. I don't care if you're a guest and you're never coming back. Go sign up, right? Commit to this. It's not a commitment to me. It's not a commitment to this church. It's a commitment to the Lord. Take a step today to increase your effort in your prayer life. So that's the first thing we're going to do is, is a personal challenge. Then we're going to do a corporate one. We're going to embrace this charge to pray together as the church, that there is a power in being a church that it prays with and for each other. Here's how we're going to do that. The last Wednesday of every month, we're going to convene together. And we're going to start this week. This Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we're going to meet in this chapel from 6 to 6.30. And we're going to see the importance of praying together as a church family. Now, again, we're not going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. There's going to be an opportunity if you're there. If you want to be in, in a spirit of privacy, that's fine. We're going to allow that to happen. But we're also going to stretch our muscles here and come alongside and learn what it looks like to actually pray for each other, to pray with each other, and for the things that God wants us to do. And we're going to do that every uh, last Wednesday of every month. And we're asking everybody to be there. Okay, I've asked for the youth to wait to start their program, that they would come and, and be there at six o'clock. I've asked the college to come and be there. I've asked the, the senior adults, everybody to come. If there's a Bible study, let's, let's wait just that one Wednesday and come together and pray. I'm gonna go so far as to say that I really want you to make it a priority that if you even have to leave work early, do it. Prayer, it's greater work. Let's see what God does when, when our church comes together to pray with such intensity and such intentionality. Now, the younger children, we're, we're gonna integrate them throughout the year. They'll, they'll still go where they typically go, but we're gonna bring them into this process, and each Wednesday it's gonna look different. But we are gonna start having this challenge of personal and corporate prayer become something we really try to foster. Now, here's what I want to guard or guide those prayers. As I prepared for my transition into this role of pastor, I kept coming back to one primary prayer. And, and it wasn't, it's not a mission statement, it's not a, a slogan or a methodology, it's just what the Lord laid on my heart. Kept praying for a movement of God, the power of God to be unleashed. This power that we see would no longer be restrained and held back, that it would just erupt in our midst. The power of God would be unleashed in our lives, in our church, in our community, and around the world. And then when that power is manifest, what we will see is that every tongue, every tribe, every nation will come to know and proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the prayer. 
And so we're gonna use that to, to guide us through the year. These first few months, we're gonna focus on our lives for the power of God to be unleashed within us. And then the next few months, we're gonna shift the focus to our church, and then we're gonna spend a few months thinking about the community, and then we're gonna end the year focused on the world. That's how we're gonna walk through this year of intentional prayer together. So it begins with you. The power of God to be unleashed in your life. So what does that look like for you? What do you need God to do in your life? That related to your purpose, greater sense of call, self-worth? Can you be healed of something physically or emotionally? Do you need to have your character refined and integrity? What, what is it? Thinking about those things, embrace the honesty before the Lord, and let's start praying for God to ignite a new song within us and see his power unleashed. That's what I want to see us do. That's where I think it can take us. Now, Paul gives us a great example. On at least one thing that we can all be praying for individually, Paul says it here. He says, pray for me that when I speak, words would be given to me so that I would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I would declare it fearlessly as I should. So at the very least, we can borrow that prayer from Paul, and for these next few months, we can join him in that spirit and say, Lord, help me to fearlessly make you known. Love that word fearless. It's one of Paul's favorite words. It's, it's parousia in the Greek, and it, and it comes from the idea of having freedom of speech, is one of the key characteristics of the Greeks and, and what gave them their identity. And it lends itself to this, this development of, of finding boldness and confidence and, and, and fearlessness. And that is what leads them in this prayer. And so we need to be fearless in how we pray. We need to be fearless in how we walk and engage in the struggle. And one reason we can find that courage, one reason we can find that confidence is the way that Paul starts this command. Pray in the Spirit. We don't come to the Lord and pray in accordance to our own abilities, to our own capabilities, our own interests, our own ambitions. No, we pray in the Spirit. In Hebrew, it's ruah, breath. It's his cosmic power that creates, his unsearchable, unknowable power. In the Greek, it's pneuma. It's this wind, this vital force, his breath, his life, his soul that is revealed fully in Jesus and is expounded upon with Paul. We pray in the power of the Spirit of God. And we will become cognizant of that when we pray, we don't pray as those who have a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That's who we are. And so let's not have our prayers be um, too small, but let's... Let's dare to dream when we come to the Lord in prayer. Pray for significant things to be done within us and around this world. Let the, the prayers of the church rise up that we would actually be bold enough to say for wars to cease, for slavery to be broken, for the fatherless to find a home, for the hurting to be healed, for the broken to be restored, for the courageous to rise up and to go to the dark places of this world. That's the power of prayer. Let me close with a story that has convicted me on it. Um, you guys realize, I don't know if you do, that, that we are living in the midst of what is arguably one of the greatest awakenings in the history of Christianity. Where that? You may not be because it's not happening here. Surprise. Um, it's not happening in Europe, Latin America, South America. You have to travel to Asia. And, and in particular, you see that the bulk of it occurring in China. Pretty remarkable concept when you consider that in China, there's no religious freedom great risk to choose to follow Christ, much that it can cost you to convene and meet in secret, and yet an awakening 
is flourishing across their land. You can go to these awakenings and often study them and see kind of who are the key figures, who are the central people that are often catalytic in the midst of those things. Well, through these uh, researches and, and, and looking into this awakening that's taken place, it's led a lot of people to the story of this man named Ying Kai. And so missiologists have gone and visited with him. Books have been written. One of my favorite books, T for T, Training for Trainers, talks about his methodology of evangelism and discipleship and how that began to sweep its way across China in so many miraculous ways. The problem is that a lot of times we begin to look at these things and we focus on the methodology and we miss the man or the individual. What you see with Ying Kai and, and, and this testimony that we hear about him is that at his core, he was a man of prayer. And to see who he is, it was less about his methodology and his posture. See, Ying Kai was known to wake up every day and be in prayer for at least one to two hours every day. And he would pray for every event and encounter that he thought he might have that day, the people he might meet, the, the experiences that he might have. And he would ask God to reveal to him how it was that he would, should pray. Lord, show me what I need to pray for these people. And he would work through this progression. He would pray oftentimes for protection, fully aware that he lived in the midst of this battle and that he needed God's protection. And he often prayed for that protection by invoking the blood of Jesus Christ. This phrase is that he would often use, protect me with the blood of Christ, knowing the, the significance and the power of that sacrifice. He would, he would pray for the armor of God every day. And he would walk through those steps and have those elements fastened to him that it would help him stand firm in this journey. He'd pray for a gift from God. Not just things that spoke to his wants and his desires. No, his gifts were always related to help me fearlessly make you known. And whatever I need to do that, give it to me, Lord. If I'm too shy, help me overcome shyness. If I need to be more loving, if I need to be more generous, if I need to be more bold, give me what I need so that you can be made known through me. And the last thing he did when he prayed is he gave thanks. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, even if it was difficult, give thanks. He said, it's in our praise of the Lord that we give him honor and see his power. These are good examples for you and me. At the very least, maybe we can borrow through some of his mentality because this man, this prayer, was at the center of this great awakening. A few years ago, the International Mission Board sent their Global Research Development Department to go and look into this awakening. You know what they discovered? To 80,000 new church plants, 2 million baptisms. <laughs> That's the power of prayer, that heart of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish them all to have everlasting life. Can I confess to you this morning? Tired. Tired of hearing about the power of God taking place somewhere else. I'm tired of reading these stories of who God is, feeling like they're left in antiquity and not a part of my day-to-day -day reality. I'm tired of churches being known for people attend. The preaching was good. I liked the music. Longing for the day that, that people can step into a church building and be overwhelmed by the power and the spirit of God because of the faithful prayers of the saints who daily convene there. What I want to see is the power of God. What I want to see is God do something in you you never thought possible. I want to see God ignite something within this church that will transform this community. I want to see God break the barriers of hostility that divide us in our culture. I want to see wars cease. I want to see the fatherless find a home. I want to see the slavery and bondage end and be destroyed. I want to see a generation of people rise up fearlessly ready to go to the darkest corners of the earth to make him known. But none of that happens without prayer.
And so let us take seriously great work. We've been given this amazing access, living God. In Jesus, we have this great high priest who is interceding on our behalf. He's gone into the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary, and by his blood, he gives us access to this almighty God. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, and fearlessly ask for the mercy that he is longing to extend to us. Join with Paul and kneel before the Father and search this incomparable power. It's the same power that was exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms above every rule and authority and dominion in this age and in the age to come. Let's get on our knees, pray, all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests, always persistent all the Lord's people, we would fearlessly make him known. Prayer is a greater work. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you. We need you. Father, I confess futility and the smallness of my prayers. I pray that you would ignite something within all of us today, not, not because of some sermon I've delivered, some message we've heard, but because of your spirit. Father, that we believe that these scriptures show us that you ignite things in our hearts that are, can only come from you. So we come together as your church, humble ourselves, and we honestly say we want more. Show us what to pray for. Show us how to pray. Do not relinquish your power. Do not hold back your power, but let it flourish within all of us. Move in our lives. Let it move in this church, this community, in this world so we can fearlessly make you known. Love you, Father. Pray all these things expectantly because of our great high priest who brings us into your heart and helps us reveal our own. For it's in the mighty name and the mighty blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to offer a word of invitation. This is obviously a moment where traditionally we, we ask people if they want to join the church, you can come forward and make that decision. Obviously, if you have felt the Spirit prompting you to follow Christ and you want to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, this is the perfect time to do it. Beyond that, this is a time for us to respond and respond with prayer. And so if you need prayer, you can come forward. I'll pray with you. If you need to just respond to the Lord faithfully in your own seat and stay seated, then pray. Do, do whatever the Spirit is prompting you. But let us respond in faith and obedience. And as we leave here today, let it be more than just signing our name on those pages outside or coming back on Wednesday. Let us start a new journey we commit ourselves to the greater work of prayer. Let's stand together and sing this song of invitations we respond. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee near to the Good morning. 
Uh, my name is Taylor Post, and I am the interim college pastor here at UBC. And we are very excited this Sunday because we are starting the table again tonight, which is our college Bible study. We have a slide because we're super fancy around here. And um, this semester at the table, we're going to be studying Ephesians and spiritual disciplines. So it was really nice of Jeremiah to give us a setup this morning. Very kind of him. So um, that's what we'll be studying. We also gather and we eat dinner provided by a member of the congregation and... It is always delicious. I can hands down say that is one of the best parts of UBC. You guys are awesome, awesome cooks. And so, yeah, I, I hear some amens. I know you all know that. So um, if you are a college student and you are new um, or you're a visitor today, we would love for you to join us. We're just kicking off this semester. And it's a really fun, meaningful time uh, where there's a really meaningful community that's being built. And we get to do some solid Bible study. And so we hope that you will join us. Um, the address is in the bulletin. It's over just across the street at 2713 Wabash. Um, but the time in the bulletin is wrong. It's at 630, not at 530. So if you show up at 530, just wait. And eventually we'll be there. But um, I've already seen some new college faces, so I would love to connect with you if you're here and you're a college student. So I'll come find you, which sounds like a threat, but it's not. All right. Well, let's stand together as we depart. We will depart with a song on our lips. And let's sing together. Have a great week. <laughs>